Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, January 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, will tax hikes on tobacco products become state law? A new study shows why the effort could help Mississippians. Then, how health screenings can help uninsured and underinsured women monitor their well-being. And runners and music lovers are headed to the capital city. We'll hear the plans for this year's Mississippi Blues Marathon. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. National and state health groups are asking lawmakers to do more to control tobacco use in Mississippi. They say officials should think again about proposed tobacco initiatives in the state. This after a report by the American Lung Association gave Mississippi an overall F rating on tobacco control. Amy Ellis is regional director of health promotion with the American Lung Association. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood the state could save on health care costs if if certain laws are passed. We have a lot of work to do in Mississippi to get these grades up and protect the lungs and the health of Mississippians. What are some of the factors that you're looking at when you're talking about tobacco control? We're looking at funding for state tobacco prevention programs. So Mississippi received an F in that grade because we are not at the funding that CDC would um, recommend. We currently have a very low tobacco tax, so we received an F in that category as well. We have a $0.68 cent tobacco tax, which is uh, way below the national average. So we are actually working uh, this legislative session to increase the tobacco tax uh, by $1.50 to get us a little higher. Um, Smoke-free air, we we received an F in smoke-free air because we do not have a statewide comprehensive smoke-free law in Mississippi. Uh, We have done very well at going community by community, uh, you know, city by city um, to pass smoke-free ordinances on a local level. So we've done really well at that and uh, continue to do well in that area. But even if every city passed a comprehensive smoke-free law, and what I mean by comprehensive means that there's no exempting, you know, bars or casinos or anything like that, we would still have 50% of the state that is not protected because of of being rural, you know, of the rural areas. So in order to receive a better grade in that category, we're going to have to pass a comprehensive smoke-free law. And then the tobacco 21, that is a new category, and uh, that is where uh, we in, are looking to increase the minimum age sale for tobacco products to 21. So that's a fairly new uh, initiative that's uh, being done on a, on a statewide level. 
What was your response to the House doing away with increasing the age limit for consumers from 18 to 21 to buy tobacco? You know, that's unfortunate for our youth. Uh, We know that if we increase the law to 21, then that's less young people that are going to have access to tobacco products. So I think you will see more states taking on that, especially after this report taking on that and passing that law on a statewide level. I know you mentioned that uh, currently you guys are working with uh, legislators to increase the Mississippi cigarette tax by $1.50. What that means to the Lung Association is that um, less people are going to die from tobacco-related illnesses. So research has shown that it will deter some teenagers from smoking and, and some adults will encourage them to or motivate them to quit smoking. Now, there certainly will be people who, you know, that doesn't um, affect their decision on smoking, and that's certainly fine. So we're still receiving money as far as the tax dollars in relation to cigarette tax, but we have seen where increasing the tobacco tax has a positive effect on motivating people to quit smoking or never starting. The American Lung Association's Amy Ellis with our Ashley Norwood While advocates say they want tighter restrictions, state lawmakers disagree. Republican Representative Gary Chisholm of Columbus says he's against the changes. Neither one of those measures am I for. The first one dealing with raising it from 18 to 21 was defeated in the Ways and Means uh, meeting yesterday. We have so many of our rights taken away from us. I'm just not for making it mandatory to be 21. And on the other issue, I think there is a bill out there to raise uh, tobacco products, you know, considerably. And, of course, the purpose of that bill, they say, would be it makes it nearly cost prohibited for people to use tobacco products. But alcohol, tobacco, Gaming are all sin taxes. And, you know, it's easy to tax something that you don't participate in. But, you know, we have citizens that do. And, of course, I'm a Republican, and I don't vote for raising taxes of any sort, uh, whether it's sin taxes or whether it's cash tax or whether it's income tax. So that's really... uh, the reason that I'm opposed to both of those bills, I mean, this is America. We're supposed to have individual rights, and it just seems like we are trying to whittle away at those rights. Tobacco use is the leading cause of preventable death and disease in America, killing over 480,000 people each year. In other news, providing Mississippi teenagers with accurate information about alcohol and drugs is a must in lowering the incidence of abuse and addiction. That's according to Dr. Ruben Baylor of the National Institute on Drug Abuse. He tells us creating the right atmosphere for communication and sharing correct information will be most effective. There are many, many myths that impact our understanding and our treatment or addressing this uh, problem of substance abuse and addiction. Many of them affect kids, which is the population that we are most uh, worried about. The kids will often talk about uh, marijuana, for example, being a natural product, so it cannot be uh, toxic or, 
problem for the brain, and nothing could be further from the truth. There are psychoactive compounds in marijuana plants that really can derail the normal trajectory of brain maturation. Other myth would be that we can uh, prevent kids from drinking alcohol or becoming addicted later in life if we allow them to drink uh, during dinner, for example, take a sip with the parents and enjoy a little bit of wine. When we know that the brain development is extremely sensitive to uh, toxic compounds like alcohol, and uh, again, their development can be derailed and perturbed by even small amounts of these toxic compounds. Let me stop you right there. What do you mean by a small amount? Even a sip of a glass of wine or something might be detrimental to a young person's health? Yes. One sip will not, but this done on a regular basis. It's not just the toxic amount that he's imbibing with the dinner, but the fact that he doesn't understand or the parents don't understand that we are incorporating into our organism a toxic compound that kills neurons and can disrupt a process that we don't actually talk about. We take the brain for granted, and this kind of, it's a detour from allowing us to understand how precious the brain is and how much we need to really care for it. So it's an anti-universal prevention message what we're doing when we do that. Included in the warnings are e-cigarettes, but I don't see cigarettes on the list. What's the difference between them and why would one be dangerous versus the other? Well, we definitely don't need to stop our messaging that cigarettes are very toxic and very dangerous and extremely addictive. The fact is that the prevalence of cigarette smoking among kids have been going down, and it's a, a historic loss right now. If we look at the Monitoring the Future surveys, the last numbers that we got are extremely encouraging. Those numbers keep going down. Do you attribute that to getting information out about addiction? Oh, there is a lot of factors that contribute to these changes in prevalence. And at the same time, we are seeing this popularity of e-cigarettes going up. And this is what really concerns us. And maybe that's why you see more of a messaging focus on the arrival of this new device in the market and their increased popularity among kids. But it's not that we stop being worried about the regular tobacco products among adolescents. Not at all. Do you think e-cigarettes have a popularity because they come in different flavors, you know, like bubble gum and cherry and all these? Well, of course, they are marketed to the replacement smokers. Industry calls these young people replacement smokers. And now that the popularity of traditional cigarettes is going down, if everything goes as planned for the foreseeable future, they are planning to very aggressively market these products to the replacement smokers. This is the language that they use, and these are our young people. They contain flavors that eventually uh, they want them to use uh, with addictive drugs, like nicotine is one of the most addictive drugs in the market. About 30% of nicotine users will become addicted to the drug. So these devices are engineered very smartly to hook them to this drug as early as possible so they become reliable customers for the foreseeable future until they die or become addicted to nicotine. And there is preliminary evidence to suggest that these e-cigarette users will become, some of them will become users of traditional cigarettes later on. How do you recommend or what do you recommend a parent do to engage their teenage child on this topic? First of all, you have to lead by example. So how we drink whether we use drugs, for example. Some parents, unfortunately, use drugs in front of the kids in the house. The second thing that adults need to do, really get informed so they have the tools to engage. And then here comes the third major leg to this tool, is to maintain the channels of communication with the kids. They may not seem like they are listening to us, but if this communication is open, not judgmental, and is based on real information, real facts, 
something will sediment, but there is a tremendous value in keeping those channels of communication open, full of love and nurturing intent and non being judgmental or punishing or having this punishment always in the horizon. I think these are the three legs of the stool that you are talking about. What is the website where people can access all this information? Today, the easiest way is to put in the search box NIDA, N-I-D-A, which stands for the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Once you land in our main page, you will be directed to different tabs. If you are a parent, a teacher, an adolescent, a scientist, and there you can really easily search for any term you care to learn more about, or even the events that happen in every state if you just put IQ Challenge or Drug Fact Week. Dr. Ruben Baylor is a health scientist with the Office of Science Policy and Communications at the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Dr. Baylor, thank you so much. My pleasure, Karen. Thank you for the opportunity. National Drug and Alcohol Facts Week is held every January, and this year Mississippians have four community events to raise awareness around the state. Coming up, find out how health screenings can help uninsured and underinsured women monitor their well-being. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition. Mississippi has the highest incidence rate and mortality rate from cervical cancer in the nation. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control. And while the state's incidence of breast cancer is considered average, the mortality rate is one of the highest in the country. To help uninsured and underinsured women learn their status, the University of Mississippi Medical Center is offering free screenings this Saturday. Dr. Stephen Robb is professor of pathology at UMMC. He tells us mammograms are a useful tool. It's a screening test, so it can detect cancer uh, for small areas where there may be tumor. It's a way that we can actually look in the breast and then see if there's a lesion that would need to be sampled. Uh, So it's a first step for doing screening to determine if someone may have something that would be worrisome for cancer. How does the stage of the cancer predict someone's recovery from breast cancer? In general, the lower the stage, the better prognosis. So one of the reasons that we want to do screening is to detect early cancers that may be at a lower stage because then those women would have a greater or higher chance of longer survival. And breast cancer can be detected at the first stage, I mean, early on? Yes, and that's one of the one of the advantages of mammography. It has led to our ability in the medical profession to, to detect early cancers and therefore remove them or treat them and therefore, you know, markedly increase the potential survival. Let's move on to cervical cancer screening. What's involved with that? Well, cervical cancer screening essentially consists of having a pap test. And pap tests are probably one of the most remarkable things that have reduced uh, cancers of any types in the world, and they've been around for over half a century. In our area, what we're going to be doing is that nurse practitioners are going to be procuring a pap test, which is where they actually scrape a portion of the uterine cervix, and then we put that on a slide, and then a pathologist interprets that slide. And when a pathologist interprets the slide, they will see if there is cancer, we can make a diagnosis, or if there are lesions that 
are not cancer, but that are precursors or can lead to cancer, then we can detect those as well. And when we detect those, those are the ones where we can actually prevent cancer from occurring. Would a woman still need a pap test if she is in menopause? I would say that we're primarily targeting a younger population, but there would be some women that have not been tested, uh, who have never been tested, that um, probably should have a pap test. What is the age where cervical cancer being diagnosed is most prevalent? Well, I think we're actually seeing uh, two age groups that are different. One is probably a younger age group that we're seeing here in Mississippi, where women can be in their 30s and early 40s. And then there's a later age group, you know, that may be um, menopausal or postmenopausal from the 50s and 60s. And so we're trying to target both of those because both of those tend to be risk factors, especially if women haven't had a pap test in the previous three years. Saturday's screening event will also include screenings of uh, dermatology assessment. What's involved with that? Well, we're actually going to be screening for uh, potentially melanoma. And so melanoma, a particular type, which is called acrolentiginous, uh, which could occur on the hands, uh, say, for instance. And so that's what we're going to be looking for there. Is this a, strictly a visual screening? Yes. And if there's abnormal areas, then uh, those women would also be referred for follow-up where there may be a biopsy of the potentially worrisome area on the skin. And the woman might should be prepared to show the doctor if she has a mole or something that has changed recently? Yes. So anything that would be like a risk factor for melanoma and changes of size and shape and color could be also brought to the dermatologist's attention, and they will look at that. Dr. Rob, can you give us some of the details of where and when and what a person might need to bring with them? We're actually trying to pre-register women so that we can set times when women can come in. And the screenings are going to be taking place at the Jackson Medical Mall, uh, I believe we're starting the actual screening event at 8 o'clock, and so therefore calling our uh, number would be the way to be able to set up an appointment. The number to call is 601-815-3572. This is primarily for women who are underinsured or have no insurance. Yes, they would first set themselves up of, of coming, and there will be a checklist that the people answering the number will help them determine if they meet the criteria. But it's intended for those with no insurance or with, you know, I would say low insurance, so that we could do these tests just for free. Dr. Stephen Robb with the University of Mississippi Medical Center, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you very much. And again, women must pre-register for the C-Test Treat screening event by calling this number, 601-815-3572. Coming up, runners and music lovers are headed to the capital city. We'll hear the plans for this year's Mississippi Blues Marathon. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
In 2018, connecting to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio just got a lot easier. If you own a smart home device, such as Amazon Echo or Google Home, you can now ask for MPB by name. Say, Alexa, play MPB Think Radio for up-to-date news and your favorite local programs. Or say, Alexa, play MPB Radio for great music to get you through your day. And that's it. You're connected. With any smart home device, just ask for us by name. Alexa, play MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Some Mississippi runners are hoping weekend weather will allow great conditions for the Mississippi Blues Marathon. Event founder and director John Noblin tells us more about the race that draws people from around the country to the state. In the past, we've only had one single sponsor for the first 10 years of the race. And when they discontinued their sponsorship and we were put in a position for the first time to find a new sponsor to continue the event. And Continental Tire came on in conjunction with the plant that they're building out uh, west of town. And so far, it's been great. In terms of the races themselves, how many different categories and how many different races? Okay. Uh, there's, well, obviously the marathon. Uh, there is a half marathon, which will actually be the largest field. That's oh. that's kind of the that's kind of the end distance right now in the country, and the largest fields are in the half marathons. Um, three or four years ago, we started something we call the quarter note, which is a, a quarter marathon, which is about 10.5K or 6.5 miles. Mm-hmm. This year, we added a 5K just to give the folks who, you know, like their runs to be sh- shorter, uh, something something to do and That's a way to get a involved. Race. 3.1. Okay. Yep. The way the course falls sort of contributed to adding a 5K because the 5K mark is, I mean, literally within feet of the starting line because the the route goes out on a, a Pascagoula Street and then loops through Jackson State and back in and then comes back through the starting line, straight back up the same stretch on Pascagoula Street. So the 5K mark literally falls right at the starting line. Do the, so, t- the 10K half marathon marathon go outside city limits? No, nothing goes outside the city, so even, the, even the marathon. So it means going through all the neighborhoods of Jackson? So, yeah. So to get 26.2, especially at least for the marathon, to get 26.2 miles in town, you got to see a lot of a, a lot of the city. So basically, you know, from you know, corner to corner, we're, we're going from the, the west side of the Jackson State campus on Lynch Street out to the, the intersection of Briarwood and Ridgewood and back. You know, we're just kind of winding our way out to that from the you know the furthest southwest to the furthest northeast points, and then winding our way back. We're talking to all of Mississippi, so let me just say that that's a long distance. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> a, a long lot way. of the city. Um, you have events for others who are not necessarily runners. Not necessarily separate events, but certainly we have opportunities for non-runners, uh, whether it's whether you just want to come out and see uh, some of the live music, hear some of the live music that's around the course. There are uh, nine different live music locations around the route that are basically just a, you will we'll set up a stage right next to the street and uh, they're usually in located in conjunction with a, a water and medical station and things around it so they're you know, they're not out in the middle of nowhere but there there are nine live music locations around the course and then uh, uh, be live music at the start and finish line at the art garden of the the Mississippi Museum of Art um, all day long from seven from the start at 7 a.m till we close at two do the races start at seven everything starts at seven 
on Pascagoula Street. Is it the start, starting line for the marathon, the half marathon? Everything starts together. Oh. Everybody starts together and then just peels off at different points based on the distance that you're We have a lot of volunteers and out on the course that direct the runners. I mean, of course, we have signage. But, yeah, it's literally one of those things that at various points around the route, there'll be signs and volunteers saying the half marathon goes this way or the quarter note goes this way. How many participants are you expecting? We passed 2,500. So I'm thinking by the time it's all said and done, we'll be right at 3,000. Um, And at this point so far, we've got runners registered from 46 states and seven countries. That's great. The word has gotten out. The word is out. We've had all 50 states several times. And, in fact, I've had uh, Rick Cleveland told me one time that he said, I don't think there's another event ever in the state except maybe when the coast hosted the Miss America pageant and they kind of have it by default. They have to have all 50 states. He said, I don't think there's another event in the state that – Folks voluntarily come from all 50 states to, you know, at the, on the same day. Where can people find out more information? Everything to register to run or volunteer is on the website, which is www.msbluesmarathon.com. John Noblin is the race director for the Mississippi Blues Marathon. Lace up. Have a great time. That's it. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org.